Welcome to the Crone's Porch, magic, bitchcraft, and liminal approach to magical faith. This is your grandmother's podcast. Content warning, use of colorful language, lots of complaining, and general curmudgeonry. These opinions are our own, which we express as individuals following a crone path. And this, this month, we're talking about sovereignty and spiritual geography, how we see it in our own work, and why we think the work is so important to do in all of our listeners' lives and what we mean by those words, which we'll get to in just a second. Hi, Colin. Hi, Ian. So, welcome to August episode. We've been doing this for so long. I keep saying that every episode, but like, damn. Go us. I know. Over six months. Over, you know, don't, isn't there some phrase about six months and relationships and stability and all that? Probably, but I can't think of one off the top of my head, so we'll go with what you just said. <laughs> Good. P- print it, put it on a t-shirt. Absolutely. Um, so, like every great episode that we have done, uh, what we drinking? Uh, well, I am drinking a non-spawn... Um, uh, it's, a, it's an apple wine, which is oh. surprisingly delightful. Is this and what I'm you posted drinking... on our it Instagram? Is. Yes. In, huh? and, it, and, I'm, and because we have no high volume wine glasses in the house, um, I'm drinking it out of a pint glass. But um, <laughs> yes. it's a very tasty drink. What are you drinking? I am once again continuing on my 1911 train, but this time in canned form because I made a quick trip to our grocery store, which doesn't have a big selection. So I'm going to try to get ASMR. Uh, effect into this, so roll with me. Uh, silence. Ooh. I don't know. I don't know if that made it. We'll see if that made it into audio. I heard it. Oh, good. Um, but yeah, so uh, one for you, one for me, and one for the old crones. Cheers. Sancha. Clink. <laughs> good stuff. All right, Colin. Today's episode is about sovereignty and spiritual geography. So um, it is. It is. So we should probably give a very brief summary of what we mean by those words before we go into like full-on history lesson definitions. Ooh yeah. Um, like so by sovereignty, we're discussing like the political, physical, and spiritual aspects of sovereignty. Um, meaning rulership over oneself one's land and one's agency in various configurations which ian will explain um and we'll continue the spiritual part and then the spiritual geography is the internal and physical geography that you live on slash in so we will be discussing that in terms of both ancestral land where you live in your house or in your in in your state or country or whatever but also the geography that lives inside of you and how we imagine that to look like not yours ours and then you can create your own Um, yes we can see inside of you listeners we're not going to assume your yeah yeah, we're not going to assume your your spiritual geography so ian would you like to explain though first the physical and political aspect of sovereignty so we can sort of have that there and then set it aside while we discuss the magical <laughs> and spiritual while well, we set it aside and burn it <laughs> burn it um yeah so when we talk about physical and political sovereignty we're really talking about uh 
we have kind of three main points. The first one is this idea of domestic sovereignty, which is the idea of you live on land, therefore you have some sort of ownership over it, meaning you built a house on it, you may have passed it down for generations, like that. So developing sovereignty that way, um, that also kind of is inclusive of uh, of a different idea, but still related of occupational sovereignty, um, which is the right to land through some sort of coercive action um, that it can that bleh, that happens through usually waves of migration and is really more connected with pre-modern conflict it's not empires expanding and taking over land um, so we have that piece of sovereignty then we move on to absolute sovereignty which developed you know in the empire mindset d rulers laying claim usually through divine means of this land is mine i rule it and its people um and i get to say what happens on it i get to say that that land over there is also mine um so that part of sovereignty and then the final one which is our modern idea of sovereignty which is state sovereignty so this um to give a historical reference point is post-treaty of Westphalia, 17th century Europe specifically. Um, and it's basically setting up the system of international relations between nations, this idea of nations respect other nations and their borders and their right to rule over their people. And until that respect is broken, so until I don't see you as a nation, I will not unnecessarily invade you to take your land because it is not mine. I respect that you own it. So that's the the political and physical side. So Colin, how about some mythological and uh, spiritual perspective? Well, to speak to the absolute sovereignty part, because I'm going to speak more along the lines of the domestic sovereignty we talked about, um, an example for this would be so the divine right of kings in Europe is very uh, a Christian, a Christianized ideal of a ruler or a ruling dynasty has God's favor in mm -hmm. rulership, and therefore, even if they're bad, they they are still chosen by God, and therefore, to some level, infallible. Um, the Pope, like papal infallibility, is another example. Um, two non two examples outside of Europe, although one is European-derived, is Colombia in the United States. Um, the idea that there is some divine right inherent to white settlement in the United States that was a narrative uh, to, ju to mythologically justify colonialism. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, in China, which everyone, at least in the United States, learns about in their textbooks, is the, the mandate of heaven in its varying forms that says that an emperor has a divine right to rule until he does not. If he, if he, you know, transgresses, then there is a, there's kind of an out where it can be deposed. I'm not going to speak too much to that because the version that I've gotten is not from classical or, or traditional Chinese sources and therefore interpreted through a European lens. Mm -hmm. So if someone has a better a better, more accurate understanding of that and would love to share it, we would love to know. But from a mythological point of view, slash anthropological folkloric point of view, um, sovereignty tends to be ancestral, and thus narratives are built about sovereignty, and that goes for all the forms we've talked about. There's often some form of mythology around that sovereignty, but a lot of the oldest are ancestral so an apical ancestor meaning an ancestor a long time ago 
whether in real life or in in some sort of story settled the land and therefore that land is part of that people's ancestral geography it is connected to them spiritually politically emotionally physically and their right to rule is based on the settlement of some ancestor or on how they dispose of their ancestors not in a we throw something in the trash dispose but a we deal with our dead dispose mm -hmm. so burying them burying their ashes scattering ashes um placing memorials and monuments these types of things you you're you're claiming the land by the idea that we are putting our dead here and therefore that consecrates this land as ours uh getting that ancestral energy to be to to lay lay stakes to a land um there's also a, a little bit more in terms of creation myths a lot of times creation myths justify a people's claim to their land because they'll incorporate parts of that land into the myth um and it doesn't have to be very clear as a creation myth it doesn't have to be like uh the you know the world was created in seven days or a giant cow licked a giant man out of the ice um it can be a a this giant in in the past was slain by this person and their head became a mountain mm -hmm. so identifying the geography with your stories applies some level of your narratives claim the land and then of course there is a lot of what we will be talking about today in terms of the the deity side is patron deities uh which often clans or tribes will have some sort of patron spiritual being uh and this definitely from a european perspective it doesn't necessarily go the same across humans universally but the idea that this part this land that we're on for let's say is sacred to x deity and we ascribe ourselves to x deity therefore we have sovereignty over the land because we are connected to the deity mm -hmm. and this is somewhat true of so in my tradition sovereignty goddesses are a huge deal um so you have a ton of them almost all goddesses in the uh, quote unquote celtic traditions um are sovereignty related so the morrigan has her geography sovereign geography and her sovereign land danu um andraste etc all they are all connect people with the land and therefore give them rights to it so that is that is a basic overview of the aspects of sovereignty we're talking about but we should probably delve into so what does that mean in terms of our modern magic living most of us live in nation states even if some of us do still live in more custom driven um state uh, not states but but ways of living say like in, indigenous peoples um living uh in the world or more custom local custom oriented cultures but often we have to deal with the nation state so hmm. ian do you have any opening thoughts on what sovereignty means for our modern magic um uh, i think it's it's so it's really complex because i uh I, i'm definitely a big believer in it you know we live in a capitalist society and we live in a modern society so it's really hard to escape those things even though <laughs> parts of our community like to think that they are not a part of it um 
I've just the way I've been, I guess, trained or uh, have come up in the faith. There's a real emphasis on having land to practice on. So I think about, you know, there's so much emphasis on having a circle to practice about. I mean, we talked about with our student group, we wish we had a space that was ours to practice on. We wish we had a sovereign space that was just ours that we could set down roots, that we could bless in some way, you know, preset, do all that work so that it was ours to practice on. And that's been a central, I don't know if I necessarily agree with it. I'm still evolving on that of how much I ascribe to needing like stagnant place, sovereign land to work upon. Um, talked about, I think, in the July episode about that as well. But there's like a real driving force in this like modern magical faiths idea, community about having sovereign space to work on, like a stagnant sovereign space. And that like colors a lot of what the community thinks about, ascribes to. It's what all the books, like if you read any of Scott Cunningham's books, like so many of them talk about, you know, setting space having specific space for this and specific altars for that that are like stable and solid and stagnant so that's what i think about by you uh for me i think of it more in a and we will talk about it i'm sure in a little bit i i agree with you i have go back and forth in terms of physical space itself about what that means for magic and sovereignty but for me it's it's about like you said, we live in a capitalist system whose basic tenets are agency is only due to you for either benefiting the elite or kicking downward for the benefit of the elite. Mm -hmm. And for me, sovereignty and magic is reclaiming agency. So mm -hmm. it, under a capitalist system, even our bodies are not our own, especially if your body is not a, a white body or a traditionally able body or a heterosexual or cisgender body. Um, your body is not your own in a capitalist system. And so through sovereignty magic, I see it as little by little, I'm reclaiming my agency over myself in a spiritual domain, reclaiming agency over myself in a physical domain, in, a, in, an, in an intellectual one. By doing that work, I can slowly reestablish my agency and also establish relationships with other human beings, spirits, and deities. Mm -hmm. Because if I am sovereign, if I am sovereign over myself in all of its aspects, then I can create meaningful, healthy relationships with others because those boundaries will be secure. Without that oh, yes. sovereignty, I can I can have my spiritual geography, which we'll get to, invaded by others. Whether they mean to or not, you know, people can accidentally stampede their emotional cattle through your kingdom, and they don't mean to, but it, the damage is still done. So for me, yes. it's about reestablishing yes. agency in all of those regards, which is big, and you can't do it in a day. It's a lifetime's endeavor, but... Yes, 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 yes. I, I, that also makes me think of like, <laughs> and it's at the core of this podcast because we are two queer, very queer uh, people like exploring these concepts. I, I would love to do, <laughs> again, our academic, my academic is showing, but I would love to do a research, like a project on, you know, is that an that feels to me it feels partially inherently part of like that queer experience of uh developing a sovereignty over your body and your experience stripping away 
the parts of which were you were told to be because of cis heteronormativity and finding the parts of which are true and then our our magical practice like really helps and uh, funnels that into a specific thing so i'm wondering i i'm just thinking out loud now i'm just wondering if that's like part of our just like queer queerness and if so that's just amazing that we have this uh thing i don't think it's uh, anything specific but that just made me think of that like that that like queer sovereignty kind of storyline we just happened to put a magical spin on it and vice versa yeah that's that's absolutely true and i think part of that is also sovereignty has more than just the the i rule over mm -hmm. x aspect yeah. it also has the i govern over x aspect um and so what that what that means to me is it also is a level of how do we develop um how do we develop how we think about things and how do we develop how we deal with things so with other people with ourselves with our work um so um so mm -hmm. how how do how do we um I'm sorry, I, my train of thought was, was, was <laughs> broken. See, this is the wonderful things you get from live podcasting. Um, no, yeah. I no, mean, no. Ah, so what? It, what I'm what I was uh, trying yeah. to say is 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 what it what it means is how do I rule over myself in a healthy, positive, and benevolent way, and then how do I engage with others as equals in a positive, benevolent way? Yeah. That govern gov governing thyself, and then therefore how do i deal with other people and that that means you also have to be able to deal with some uncomfortable things like inequality of power and resources and yep. societal customs and and these these aspects hell yeah i mean and that so that brings at least for me it brings us to like this idea of spiritual geography which um for me when i think of spiritual geography i think of two, uh, one big part and for me, that is um, very much connected to the physical space that I'm on. I think about, so my family, um, Eastern European, Western Slavic, and Polish and German. Um, and those lands look like a particular thing. You know, uh, there are lots of rivers and forests, uh, and it's snowy. So and that land meant something to my ancestors and the practices that they had and the practice and the things that they've done and the lessons that they've passed forward um and so when i think of spiritual geography i think about here i am in this land which is not mine but i find connections to certain pieces of it because the geography the literal physical geography matches so much of my ancestors experience of their land and so i find connection in that and it's helped develop uh, the spiritual practice because there's just like that parallel connection between these two unrelated physical spaces and so that's like the, that's what i think of when i think of sp physical spiritual geography but like what do you think about that i have the exact same experience in terms of my physical spiritual geography because my family is a, a good portion of it is is polish um but the parts that i connect to most are the scottish ones obviously as we have discussed there's some norwegian in that same bloodline too and this part of new york, the part of new york i grew up in was subject to the same physical formative forces so glacial glacial retraction <laughs> yep and advance 
that creates these, you know, intricate wooded and rocky river and lake valleys that speak to me on such a fundamental level, I think because it's part and parcel to my ancestors' experience, and therefore I connect very deeply to it. I've mentioned in the past episode um, how incredibly important upstate New York is to me as someone who was born here. Um, and that brings in complications, which is, is, is part of the work, um, mm -hmm. honestly. But also, I think we should get into the internal spiritual aspect of the geography. Like, what do we see in ourselves? Yes. Um, and I would like you to describe how your internal geography orients itself, and we'll see, compare notes. Okay, so um, my experience of internal spiritual geography is actually uh, intensely physical, and it's physical because of the methods of which I have been taught to kind of orient myself in the internal space. Um, so part of my mentorship and the, and the, I don't want to call it Kurt an elder because I think he'd be mad. Sorry, Kurt. I don't know if you listen to this, but I apologize for an aged joke. Um, but uh, Kurt uh, is pretty heavy in the practice of journey work, which is this idea of taking, I guess, a spiritual journey into a, a different realm. In this case, um, going from the physical to uh the spirit some some idea of the spiritual realm but found inside um so i guess to give a, just a little bit like the practice we would use would be envisioning stepping down downward into what would be the spiritual world versus up into what i i believe is which is kind of christianized i don't know anyway um so through journey work i have entered been able to i guess mentally enter into my internal spiritual geography and see it so i see it very physically um and my personal internal spiritual geography is very much a river valley um with lots of rock formations and deep softwood forests um and then inside of that uh is a lot is my internal mind so um, there are manifestations of anxieties there are manifestations of sources of empowerment manifestations of past histories you know i can find ancestral markers i can find you know depending on how in it i am that day um journey work is not my strongest suit but if i'm really in it and guided kind of by uh someone who's really proficient in it um i can connect to ancestral people like i can connect to uh and like physical embodiments of ancestors um, who have names faces none of which i ever remember when i get out of it but um so it's odd because <laughs> when we say when you say internal geography i'm like no but mine's very physical that's what i think about so it's like that in internal world that exists exists in my in my spiritual being um, and all the manifestations of me inside of it all the multifaceted uh, versions of myself kind of throughout time sometimes it's manifestations of myself that have yet to be which is the most mind-fucking experience is meeting a person a version of yourself that you just haven't been yet that's crazy and mind-boggling but it's always cr so fun when you when it happens uh, but yeah that's me in the, that long nonlinear thought. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to journey work. Um, Welcome to journey work, nonlinear. Yeah. And as an asterisk to that, 
Dear white people, instead of calling it shamanic, call it journey work. Similar practices, one's not appropriative. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah, we could do a lot uh, of run naming things. <laughs> framing framing is important. No, I have the same I have the same idea, um, which is is for me my internal my internal geography is 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 ancestral in that it is a lot of softwood forest and hardwood like deciduous forest mm. around rocky river valleys and lots of big lakes um, and even some sea coast. Uh, it's generally pretty, it's, it's like perpetual autumn. Um, mm -hmm. I struggle to visualize, which is one of the, because of how my disabilities play out, um, mm -hmm. visualization is really a struggle for me, but I get clear senses of it from time to time. And that's why I like to work with other people because, um, through the process of how you do have, how people tend to do ritual together, especially like people like you and me, mm -hmm. um, that those, those geographies tend to start to connect and so by yes. jumping into someone else's i can then walk my way over to my own um oh. and it just it also is very comfortable because like i said you and i have very similar geographies so i feel very comfortable in yours yes so yes, it's <laughs> easy for me to access mine because i feel comfortable in yours but um yours also has a snake around it just fyi <laughs> um, yeah that's true uh and the, that's the interesting thing is there uh at least though in the way that I experience my internal spiritual geography, there are very clear bounds to it. I have um, in the span of doing some journey work run to the as far to the edge as I can get. And it, very much like video games, you know, when like the screen goes white and you find yourself like reoriented back towards the center and <laughs> like that happens. It happens to me where I'll hit the edge, the the vision will go white a little bit and I'll find myself running back towards the center. And I'm like, oh, there was the edge of that. <laughs> Um, so there are very like clear um, boundaries, almost like you know, borders is a bad allegory because borders aren't real; they're just figments of people's imagination. But I guess, in a spiritual sense, it is a figment of my mind that there is a border there. So I guess that does is a good allegory. Yeah, and for <laughs> me, the the way that it gets populated is that I kind of live in like a fort in in Ooh. or near the center of my geography and that fort is can be as much prison as defense yep um and i i live with i think my best impression is i live with my ancestors to a certain mm. degree um but i also live with some of the worst roommates imaginable okay that that's unfair to other people's experiences but for, yeah, for me, you, <laughs> the, the voices, the voices of anxiety and disability, because oh. mine are thought pattern based, um, they live there too. So yep. even when I get to go exploring, unless again, unless I have someone else, because then it can be or other people, because then I can focus on that. I tend to have this like retinue that carries all my emotional baggage and issues, and they tend to be very obnoxious. So it's sometimes difficult to enjoy the journey. There. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of my that's part of my uh my personal experience, but the overall I'm very happy with it's a very fun experience. It's like taking an awesome nature hike and exploring your own geography. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's the the thing that 
Uh, if I were to kind of quantify what people get wrong about journey work is it's not sunshine and rainbows when you journey, um, especially if you're doing internal journey work, going into, um, there was one person who, which I like this idea of going into the trunk of your own world tree, like going, <laughs> leaving your physical version of it, going into the, the tree itself, um, uh, is that is you in your entirety your internal spiritual geography your internal spiritual land is you all of it <laughs> so if you have personal things personal neuroses personal shit that you need to work through that all appears it doesn't go away and that can be a, a help for some people um the things that are debilitating in this capitalist real world are super empowering in their internal spiritual world uh, but vice versa it might be the opposite it might be something you know if it's debilitating in the real world it's debilitating in the spiritual world um but it's like you don't get the you, when you go into your spiritual world it's not this some idealized studio ghibli world it's all of you the good the bad the ugly um the societal like that all is impact because you've it's interesting that you have a fork because i don't have any well there's one hut that i've been able to find which i think is my ancestor where the ancestors live but um i don't exist in my spiritual world in uh human bipedal form um i actually exist in a more animalistic form which is always odd when it happens i think but i think that's very interesting for me it's because of how invested I am in human cultures as a thing, mm -hmm. I think I'm incredibly invested in the human form as it is. Yeah. Which is, and that's, and either way is very, and any way is very valid. Um, but that's how it shows up. Like, yes. what you do in the real world translates to the spiritual one. Maybe not literally, um, but that, like, you have a real world investment in humanity and the idea of human culture. So that translates right down into your, phys into your spiritual land. Like, it, it embeds itself right there. And that visualization also interacts how, or, or measures how I interact with deities, too. Like, doing work, overcoming anxiety work this summer with Lou, I got myself, I made myself a spear in, in imitation and honor of Lou. And then how part of we worked on doing anxiety was I was basically just stabbing anxieties in my internal spiritual geography mm -hmm. i was running around with a spear like that <laughs> like that loot like that loo scene from american gods when oh you have like the loo flashback like that was kind of me for a while this summer nice. um but which can and can't it has its ups and downs too because there are unintended consequences to that sort of work yeah. it was fun it was yeah. hella fun <laughs> Nope, and that like just just as in the real world, you make choices in your spiritual world, and sometimes they're good choices, and sometimes they're bad choices. Sometimes a lot of time they're neutral choices that really have no effects, no matter what you think will come out of it. But it's you know it's not yeah. But on yeah. that note, maybe we should we've we've described our own personal internal geography. Maybe we should describe how how we would suggest people really engage with it and work with it towards development and spiritual growth both the development of the understanding of that and then how we would do it and from there we can go on to using it with deities um and sovereignty goddesses and the like yeah i mean so i guess i, I um uh, how do i describe this um if you're interested in the idea of junior work if that's something that jives with you as a cool idea as a way of exploring your internal geography 
Journey work is incredibly easy in its idea. <laughs> it's hard, a little bit harder to execute, but journey work really centers around entering. Uh, uh, what I'm trying to think, what Mary would call it, uh, a heightened mental openness state. Um, and there are a variety of ways to do that. Um, sleep is a really good one. A lot, you know, some people forget that dreaming is a an opened state of being in your mind. You know, a lot of internal walls come down when you're dreaming. So if you're someone who is very very lucid in your dreams and can control the um that kind of state of mind dreaming might be a really good for you um some people use uh outside sources to help them some hallucinogenic sources to help them get into that state um if that's something you are experienced with go for it if it's something you're not don't recommend it because there are lots of pitfalls and dangers in that uh, both physical and spiritual um, and then there's good old meditation that doesn't work for everybody, but those are like kind of the three ways I think of that get you into that heightened mental state. And then it's just about the intent. Um, whenever we do that internal journey work, we go in with the intent of descending into our internal space and we do a lot of visualization about it, a lot of, um, specific, sometimes voice chant work to lay it into practice and then, Sometimes and then again, it's trial and error. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but trying, so that's like tip-wise, what I would recommend for kind of engaging with internal spiritual geography as a practice. Would do you have anything, Colin? Um, I would say, if for whatever reason, v visualization or that kind of journey work doesn't work for you, or is not something that you want to engage with, uh, doing it in a in a slightly less internal, but try to bring it into the real world in some way so either find a physical place that mimics what you think it might look like or what it feels like because you know it could be a piece of nature that you've been with and it you just really click with like you're like wow this is transcendently beautiful and i don't quite understand why it's so awesome mm -hmm. that could be a good place to start to start or even drawing um digital design like, like find some way to create an aspect of it that you can engage with in the real world Mm -hmm. and, and then and then use that to start developing your understanding i would and i would say you can make like a map like a, like a cartographer's map um but also understand that your internal spiritual geography changes with time both in its both like a seasonal aspect but also in a what may be in one place one day may not be in another reflecting your changing as a person or mm -hmm. your mood yeah so you you can you can be open you should probably be open to the idea of things are not static yeah oh and big tip 100 percent, probably the one of the most important things with either internal journey work or kind of that that external personification of journey work um is journal and along with journaling or some sort of um record keeping whether that is through journal or through you might record voice uh, voiceovers, that kind of stuff, um, is trusting your own experience. Uh, because the the things you might experience, whether you're doing this journey work in the real world or doing it in an in internal spiritual space, the things that you will experience, when, especially when you come um, back to a, uh, for lack of a better term, when you come out of the dream, um, will seem unreal because so much 
of a combination of our capitalist society and our fucked up society, along with just like real world physics and real world um, thing, laws and stuff, make the 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 experiences seem unreal, dreamlike, movie like. Um, but trust that if they happened to you, they were real, and that um, you should keep as true a record. So like the journal, the journey, the journaling um, is just really important because there are, are things that you will forget small clues that you will miss um, if you don't do that kind of intentional record keeping or archiving of your experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> important. And it's not always easy to do, oh, but it's, 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 a good, it's a good thing to get into the habit of doing. No. And I think I, part of, part uh, of this... Oh, what were you saying? Oh, I was just... I, I, it was a small thing. Um, I, it was connected to uh, the, the idea that a lot of it doesn't seem real. I had one experience where uh, a group of friends and I... I hope Kaz and Talia listen to this, so uh, shout out to those two humans of the world. Um, we did journey work together, like, intentionally, which was super scary to do <laughs> because going to your own space is one thing, but going to a mutual neutral space and or other people's spaces, it's kind of nerve-wracking because you never know. Um, and when we came out of it, there was, like, we started to, like, each started to kind of give, like, a perspective, like, oh, these were the types of things I was seeing, hearing, smelling, feeling, like, the sensations we were getting. Um, and the, the cool thing, and that's the reason, one of those aha magic is real moments, um, is just like all of the stories lined up, like all of, they were different perspectives of the same happenings, which is one of those, if you're a person who's in a, in a spot where you're like, I don't think I can't, or no, what's the right, I'm struggling to believe my magic is real. I'm struggling to believe that my experiences with these deities or my experience with this practice is real. It's going to take, it's, you know, it's not a snap your fingers and done thing, but I, just from personal experience, sometimes it takes uh, a while to believe it, but it's real. And that was for one of the, me, one of the moments where I was like, damn, th th this, this is it. This is, this is the thing I was meant to be doing. The, it was fun. So, uh, but yeah, I was just connected to that. So what were you saying? <laughs> no, that, that's, that's super valid. I love that aspect. Um, and before I go to my next thing, I was I would I was gonna say, part of what's making sense to me as we're talking about this is how other people's like we said, these things can connect, especially when you're doing magic together, mm -hmm. um, because those those bridges are made, and I think part of sometimes feeling uncomfortable with someone in a magical situation, whether you understand it or not may partly be a disconnect in in your comfort level with that person's geography so like with our students i can think of one person whose geography did not jive with me um and now i understand why that is and what that was um so that's that's a really cool aspect of something that you can you can explore and that doesn't mean that person's geography is in toxic to you it's just so different that it's uncomfortable to deal with at first. <laughs> I mean, if you grew um, up in river valleys and forests with lots of snow, and another person's geography is like middle of the desert, it's gonna say, not going to go well. Semi, se and, you, and if the person is listening and knows who they are by based on what I'm about to say, I'm not trying to single you out, and I'm not saying you were in any way wrong. I'm saying this is what happened at first. Yet yeah, semi-tropical insular was not my jive. 
um, and it took getting used to. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> but but that that's perfectly perfectly fine. And part of it it wasn't as much of an issue because you and I were leading the space and therefore kind of pulling them along into our internal geography, which mm-hmm. looked shockingly like Binghamton. So I'm sure that that was pretty easy um, for sweet. them. But yeah, and I part of how that works in the way that I see it is that when you're meeting other people in that sort of work or you're meeting spirits, the fair folk, gods, etc., that their energy, what they are, is coming into your spiritual geography and manifesting itself there. Hence why you have can have radically different images of deities, same deity between people. Mm-hmm. They're, in my mind, the same entity, but they appear differently based on, you know, their what they're acting on in that geography. So you will get Bridget or Breed. So in my mind, like, long red tresses, slightly androgynous feminine presenting goddess versus um you know black frizzy hair black haired goddess in someone else's mind and both are valid they're just very different geographies uh yeah (laughs) but i guess we should get to how sovereignty plays into working on that space yeah so the the first my first journey work um we didn't name it sovereignty but that's what it was when we first did the first intentional walk down into our spiritual space the first thing we were told to do was give it a name whether or not you remembered in the real world doesn't matter but to give it a name to define its borders in a way like figure out what the lay of it is try to describe it in as many ways as possible so what does it smell like what does it feel like what does it look like what's it what's the temperature um uh but to lay sovereign to lay sovereignty onto it, that this is yours. Um, because when we were t- when we were doing that quote-unquote lesson, because let's be, <laughs> it was in very much in the lesson format, um, the big lesson was that entering that space first, there's a lot of like unknown variables because you, uh, the idea was you may have visited as a child. And, you know, I have a theory that like their children, especially at that young age when you're very much, um, energetically open to a lot of things because you're born. You don't have any sort of uh, understanding of what the real world is and what's right, what's wrong, what's bad energy, what's good energy. You're just very open. Um, you might have visited as a kid. You might remember it as a dream world you used to go to a lot or a happy place you used to visit a lot. Um, but mm-hmm. the things are changed mm-hmm. and you have to like redefine the variables. Um, you have to redefine its borders. You know, things might have come into it uh that aren't welcome anymore people might still be there that are not welcome anymore or you might be people might be looking to join you who are very much welcome you just haven't redefined the border so it's interesting because that that was the first thing we didn't call it sovereignty that wasn't the language that we used at the time but it was defining and laying claim over this place as yours and redefining it and uh, making it what you want it to be so sovereignty is very important to internal <laughs> spiritual geography. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that in terms of dealing with your physical life, it's very important because when you claim sovereignty over your internal geography, you can really understand and deal with how you interact with your body and your mind on the physical level. Oh yeah, um, very effectively. So in my so an example, two examples that I use. One for myself is that. Um, I, it helps me, it can help me to reframe ownership of 
all of myself, so the good, the bad, and the ugly, the things that I don't like are still part of me and therefore under my control to work on. And so instead of feeling helplessness towards an issue, I can feel empowerment that there needs to be some remodeling or reframing yes. that can be done. And reframing is a great way to think about it. So if you think about parts of yourself and your psyche as reflected on your internal geography that have been framed in a certain way by external forces, gender is a great example. If this area of your internal geography is called male and that does not jive with how 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 you want it to be, claiming sovereignty can help you perhaps on the, and I'm not saying this is a, you know, going to make everything better all at once, or it may not even work for you, but it, you could try is saying, I am reframing this as something else. People have told me that's what that is, but I am the sovereign of my geography and I name this what it is because it's mine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's a lot of the reason why I enter into my spiritual geography in animal specifically, let's let see, uh, specifically canine and canine adjacent forms. So foxes, um, I, primarily. Damn, I called that. Ah, woo, I'm I, my first thought was fox. Uh. <laughs> I am predictable. Um, but I believe I entered because of just my relationship with gender. I'm very much, uh, <laughs> I hate the real world idea of gender. I wish it was much more expensive that like in that way, uh, you know, you could be anything you want to be. I wanted to be a fox in the first couple of times and that just kind of stuck as consistent. Um, so yeah, relatable hashtag. Well, that's, that's fair on my spiritual geography. It seems like the animal that, that connects with me and my internal work is stag mm -hmm. um and partly that's that's how i deal with my more expansive view of gender and masculinity in general is if you've seen a stag they're not hyper aggressive animals they will you know they will fight with each other over mates and whatnot which like not something i do but you go if you you threaten a stag its immediate reaction is to run and to do self-care so that's kind of how I put my, how I imagine myself in some ways, skittish, but <laughs> also kind of majestic. So, you know, <laughs> um, and so there's lots of, there's lots of aspects of that. There's also the aspects of that symbology is connected to some things I really like, but yeah. So yeah. these symbols, symbols can take these forms in your spiritual geography too. Rocks, trees, animals, yeah. et cetera. They can mean more than just one thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think this is a, a great, so uh, I, I don't personally run into this all that often just because of some of the work that I've done, um, but if you are someone who is struggling with this idea of sovereignty um, and being able to like lay ownership that this is where sovereign deities or sovereignty deities um, come into play, they become a conduit through which you can actually do this work through. I think about the virtual we did with our students in Inbook. Uh, uh -huh. we gave them a a conduit through which to lay sovereignty over their own bodies and the journey that which they were on at that time whether that stuck or not i don't know um but it, it's helpful because that I, without that conduit sovereignty work is really hard when you're doing it by yourself or even with your ancestors it can be really hard especially if you just don't have the energetic resources to do it if your family wasn't one whose sovereignty was a big thing it can be hard to do sovereignty now um so sovereignty deities can help fill in the gaps or provide 
additional support. Absolutely. Those deities and narratives are important. Like to go back to what you're talking about, we had our students basically do a sword in the stone ritual because yep. it's a really, it. that's a really common narrative. Like it's an, it's a narrative that most people who live in the United States and Western Europe understand because they know the story of King Arthur. I mean, they know the, the bullshit Frenchified version, but they know that version and, that and the works. Disney one <laughs> and the Disney one, which is a decent movie. I mean, it's a weird movie, but it's a, <laughs> it's a movie worth watching. Oh, um, yes. Write that down though. Cause that's important. Yeah. For later. <laughs> um, but so where that comes in is, is like I said, in the Celtic quote unquote traditions, sovereignty goddesses are a big deal. And I have worked with them in terms of sovereignty and they varying approaches. Like for me, my approaching the Morrigan for that, that is a very much the uh, buckle up buttercup, it's time to learn some <laughs> lessons version of sovereignty versus the breed or Bridget version, which is much more like you did your you best. Should, you should be you should be the ruler and every ruler makes mistakes so learn from them and let's hug it out um <laughs> and so there's different deities will have different approaches and i don't think any one is more suited to the work than other it's really who you connect with um but if you are interested in a celtic quote unquote path there those goddesses are super powerful super impactful definitely will will help you i think if you approach them with a mindset of i'm really committed to this work um i will say that in my experiences the and i keep doing this because i don't have a better word yet but celtic quote unquote deities often can find timidity and navel gazing very tiresome <laughs> so they will help you but they may grumble about it if you don't approach it with a, I am committing to the work and I'll make mistakes, but I'll do it. Yeah. If you just come into it with a sort of like, oh, I don't know, I think this would be a good thing to do. They may find, they, there may be a lot of spiritual eye rolling. So <laughs> that is just, that is just something that I've experienced. And in terms of a crone path, I would say the crone aspect of it is the buckle up buttercup. It's time to learn some lessons. And at the end, we'll have some soup. <laughs> um sort of approach which you know everybody needs self-care and softness and compassion but yeah. i think it's also good to be able to face the it's time to learn a lesson and accept the the governance aspect so i'm claiming sovereignty and therefore i am working i'm going to work on the governance too yeah and i also i just want to uh, note that like we come from a very specific set of cultural influences so yeah. laying sovereignty might also take forms of actually opening yourself up to community input actually like giving up sovereignty might be a person's path to sovereignty which sounds antithetical but um you know other communities have different ideas of what sovereignty means other cultures do as well so if that if what we're saying doesn't jive um, with what you think of as sovereignty, 100% valid, definitely. Oh, yeah, and and I would say that opening yourself up to community is not antithetical to sovereignty. I would say that it's it's less giving up sovereignty and more opening that rulership to criticism or yeah. learning. Mm -hmm. So you have claimed sovereignty over yourself and are therefore, however you like to put it, I put it as king. Um, you don't have to be so you can it could be president, prime minister, spiritual leader, whatever. 
Um, uh, but but opening your yourself up to learning from other people and also learning uh, opening yourself up to being able to take criticism and learn from it. Um, and that's how a good lead. That's how good leadership works. Is yes. it's willing to learn and listen and take criticism. Um, uh-huh. So that's that's an important aspect of sovereignty too. Is it doesn't give you carte blanche to be an absolute monarch. It means you are having the opportunity to claim a leadership, and you have to accept the responsibilities therein. Yep. Uh, and then speaking speaking on like the crone path uh, aspect of it, I also think that part of uh, what I think is we talked about it in our tangent for this month, which is up and people should listen to, um, that part of this Chrome path is also pushing boundaries. And so I also like that uh, the spin of walking the Chrome's path with sovereignty is that in a way, um, some ways to sovereignty are by giving up ownership of uh, different parts of yourself that are not no, no longer important that you control in every aspect that you can rely on other people to also provide you with leadership and guidance. Um, and that it's not always up to you to rule over your internal <laughs> and external forces. Um, so pushing those boundaries, trying to redefine sovereignty, always asking you know, questions about it, being skeptical in some ways. <laughs> I'm very skeptical, very skeptical person if people haven't guessed from this podcast. <laughs> Um, so I love that about the, our current path is that it adds that um, sort of curmudgeon anger. <laughs> yeah. Why? And, Why? And, and you may find that, like we, we mentioned earlier, you may find that your geography shifts. And you should be able to mourn that, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a shift in the wrong direction. Nope. Like I'm, I'm in the process of after our conversation last last with the last episode is i'm pulling up a bunch of fences um internally and it's not easy nor is it all nor is it super comfortable but i think clearing that land for something new will be better than keeping it in the fences it exists in now Mm -hmm. even if i was very proud of that fence in particular but yep (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean, so, do you have any final thoughts about this idea yeah, of sovereignty? I, I think that there is, just like all of the concepts we go through, and it's part of who you and I are as people, there's a social justice aspect to it. What? what? And so what? I would say that... No way. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, magical practices connect to social justice? Oh my goodness. It's almost um, as if everything is connected. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So so there's a level of, of, while doing the sovereignty work, trying to develop an understanding of what sovereignty in the real world, I say real world, but the physical world means. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so in the United States, that's definitely a lot about uh, indigenous peoples. There's a lot of political discourse on sovereignty. And the discourse that I would suggest you listen to are from the people themselves because they know what they're doing and who they are and the land that they live on and the forces that affect them directly. So start looking into those sources. It, it will never be easy reading or easy listening or easy work to do. And part of that also goes to as 
people with a magical practice and some of some people don't use physical land to do it on they do it in your house which i mean there's some argument there but kind of start interrogating how you use the land and how you work with it in terms of the idea that if you are a a person who does not have ancestry that is connected directly to the geography that you live on what are the boundaries and understandings mm -hmm. of what the land how you are using the land so in my case i can't square a circle because um <laughs> i there Love i don't have people i don't have people i can ask who are the descendants of the ancestors of this land or the the you know who have rightful sovereignty to this land necessarily um so what i kind of do is i periodically just give thanks and offerings to whatever may be here because i have no name for it nor understanding mm -hmm. of it mm -hmm. but i want to be sure that i just acknowledge what it is yeah because there's not much i can do about it in any other case but that's the practice I have chosen to deal with that particular issue. But there's a lot of different ways. And if you do, if you have the opportunity to have that conversation with someone who has that connection, um, then I really suggest you talk about it uh, and see what happens. I would really love to hear if you have that conversation with someone, you know, Please. what that would be like. And don't. <laughs> And don't, and don't seek out the nearest indigenous person and ask. Make sure it's in the proper forum where that conversation is appropriate and mm. invited. Yeah. It don't don't just like email the nearest native native people's reservation and be like, I had this question. That's probably not an appropriate approach. Let's you know, have a proper forum. But having those conversations would be good too. Yes. Um, and I also think that there is a lot of letting go of knowing in that space. Like there's a frustration in not knowing what to do and how to properly commune and give thanks. But even doing what you were talking about of just giving thanks to this nameless things, these nameless things and entities that live there is doing something. And it's not, in a lot of ways, this might not even be your right to know their names. Um, that might even, that might in of itself be a protected and restricted space. Um, so there has there's a little bit of letting go of knowing and being comfortable and not knowing what to do that comes with this. Um, and also just I like to think about so in in my practice in communing with land, um, I almost like unpack a knapsack. I kind of keep a lot of my things in a knapsack and I unpack it and put it down, um, let it root itself a little bit in order to do the work that I need to do. And then I, you know, at the end, like uh, pick it back up, put it in the knapsack, uh, tie it back up in my like internal spiritual geography, like land thing and uh, put it away for another time. And that's just like how I visualize being on colonized land and doing this work. Uh, Cause for me, you know, the connection to physical, natural land is important so i that's like my compromise uh space in doing that and also just in today's day and age there's really no excuse like yes there might not be um the actual peoples around to talk to but there's no excuse in not knowing the history 
of the sovereignty of the land of which you're practicing on. There are so many amazing resources. There's native.land.ca that uh, you can literally put in your physical address and it will give you an overview of the peoples that have settled that land um, who may or may not still be there and on it. Um, so there's really just no excuse in not knowing anymore. There are so many amazing resources. Yeah. and. And, and being able to just try to feel out the land and and be able to deal with the discomfort of not always being super, I don't want to say present, but not being super entirely accepted. So yep. in the case of where I live now versus where I lived a little <laughs> while ago. So oh, Binghamton we... and Dryden um are both we're both Haudenosaunee land but there was so much european spiritual things there like the fair folk in general that it felt super comfortable because that was my tradition and those were my things that go along with what i do mm -hmm. and those things do slightly exist in rochester but the land feels different things that i don't understand that i am assuming are indigenous and i i'm happy to work within the that paradigm but it's a very different feeling and it's something that confronting is a good idea yeah um and it's also this is i'm <laughs> spitballing again this is probably going to be another tangent at some point um that in a lot of ways, unfortunately, based on like us specifically as white folk, our ancestral history has um, in some ways soured our ability to be in full connection with the land. And that is in some ways just our, for lack of a better word, because it's uh, that's our cross to bear um, for the time being, but we can make it better. <laughs> we can try to push it yes. forward, but it's just kind of an unfortunate fact of the times we live in. Yeah, and if you have an opportunity, on a slightly lighter note, if you have an, <laughs> if you have an opportunity... Are you saying we're negative? <laughs> no, I'm not saying we're negative. I'm saying this is a less work-focused and more <laughs> personal growth and recreation focus. True. If you have the opportunity to go to the place that your ancestors came from, that you connect with very strongly inside yourself, I cannot say enough how important that experience could be. Mm -hmm. I've been to Scotland twice, and having that sort of spiritual click when you get there and you see it and you know it is huge. It may be that that's not something you can access, and I'm very sorry if that's the case, um, but if you have the opportunity and the ability, I would say absolutely try to do that because mm -hmm. it would be a good thing to do. And I will say in doing so, don't be a tourist. Seek out the opportunities to establish some sort of, like, from what my family did is we rented a flat and then basically just lived a week where we were and did one bus tour that unfortunately was mostly all Americans, but was available to... <laughs> Was used some by local people, <laughs> but the but yeah, try to establish some sort of pattern of living even for a very short period of time, mm -hmm. and I think that can help you 
connect those ancestral bonds and yeah. that land will can speak to you too and you won't have necessarily the same impediments um and in some places it, you may because people have moved in on that territory um i'm sure people who are descended from palestinians may run into that difficulty um you know kurdish people um there are there are impediments and the modern world is a real fuck fest <laughs> but um, if you have the opportunity, then I highly suggest it. And even if you can't go there, connecting with cultural organizations and people of same, the same culture that you can make those personal connections with yes. may also be worthwhile. Yeah. I also say that I, I wouldn't necessarily stress it if it's something that you just can't get with or if something that like all of this entire conversation is just like, you're like, what? I don't get it. I don't like this. That's fine. You don't need oh, a, sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> a strong connection Absolutely. to land. And also, I like, again, kind of going back to the, the Crone Path, I like that time isn't linear on our Crone Path. And so what's happening today and in your life, your physical lifetime of that struggle to connect with land um, isn't stagnant. It isn't eternal. You you know, when you pass on into the next realm, it might it will become incredibly easier or hopefully uh, much more easier to do this work and or you get to pass this work on to the next generation and the next group of people so it's like yeah it's not your burden to bear on its full front um it's just uh, sometimes an unsavory fact of life yeah and if can i add one more thing before we we move on from it one more no you can oh. add whatever you want this is your podcast <laughs> but um uh, but my one thing I will say is from a, a moral and path perspective is that Ian and I have a very specific path we're on and view of like the moral and social context of what that path means. And so I will say that this, and I'm just speaking to white folks here, is that this, this work and this path doesn't work unless you're willing to divest yourself of whiteness as a capitalist construct and actually embrace some cultural path. Yeah. For me, this work doesn't work unless you start doing that work too, because yes. there is no spiritual geography that is white in the way that we contextualize modern whiteness. That doesn't exist. That spiritual geography doesn't exist. Yeah. They're culturally derived. They're ancestrally derived. And mm -hmm. that and coming at it from a lens of just generically plain <laughs> power 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 driven white does not work at all and it's i'm i I'm, I'm sorry if we lose you as a listener but good if that's, what you, if, the, if that's what you want to do the crone path is not for you and that's not to say that it's that it's work that you necessarily if you're raised in this paradigm of rate of racial identity in the united states for example you'll never fully divest yourself of it we who have grown up in it will have a lifelong struggle to deal with it yeah but we but if we're doing the work that's where it happens not yes. just ignoring it and expecting that it that'll work mm. just from a normative place mm. it's not going to yeah that's that was a nice nice little wrap up <laughs> um, so um I don't know, do we, that felt like a bitchcraft in of itself. <laughs> that was a slight bitchcraft, but it is your month to bitchcraft. So, would you like to cast the bitchcraft? 
I'm gonna keep it short uh, because I think we 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 bitchcraft about this before, but I am constantly surprised and not surprised by the levels of both overt and covert pagan racism and pagan superiority complexes and pagan passive aggressiveness that just exist in every community, even the best ones. It's just always like a backhand to the face. Uh, and I just need to say that out loud to avoid that. May talk back to me if people email us at coronasports at gmail.com. <laughs> but, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, but I'm just constantly surprised by the, the backhanded niceness, especially that comes with it. Like I've had a couple experiences with some Facebook groups who are all about this inclusivity. But the moment someone transgresses out of like the main parent group ideals, even a little bit, it's like they're quick to just like, and I'm not talking about like racism, not welcome, but like who will, who will be interested in pursuing a deity that's not typical in the, the, the main path that the parent group is on are just like so quick to be smacked and like, that's not right. And I'm like, you said inclusivity. Did you not mean it? Cause words have meaning. That's it. Yeah. That's my bitch craft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's very fair. So there we uh, go. So yeah. let's get to a more fun section about the crone of the month. Da, 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 da. And this is uh, this is your this is your spiel, Colin, because this is someone that you oh, okay. have been on a path with, and I am okay. enjoying. You instigated this. I take no credit um, because I learned from Mary how to do <laughs> how to do this. I just, I just made the connection. I did none of the work. I just said, go talk to this friend. Hey, and that's, that's, that's how it happened. <laughs> that's very true. But I would like to put forward for the month, Scotty, um, who I think is quite popular from what I understand, but she is uh, one of the goddesses of the Nordic places. Actually, we're, I'm including her here partly because she is a sovereignty goddess in that her name is the root of Scandinavia, which means like land of or island of Skadi. Um, she is the goddess of hunting. She is a huntress. She is also one of the goddess, one of the deities of skiing. Her and Uller, <laughs> which says um, a lot about the people. There's some. There, there's some there's some evidence that says that Uller and Skadi may be the same deity, but they were separated because in one story, Skadi marries Njord, who is a masculine-presenting god. So, you never know. But, um, Skadi is the buckle-up-buttercup <laughs> approach if you read a lot of things. However, in my work with Skadi, she's, she's been very, very compassionate so far. Just very, very tender and soft, which I probably shouldn't say out loud. Now I'm just asking for a kick in the nards. But um, she she is, she is, uh, uh, how, do, it's difficult because I'm still investigating this friendship. So mm -hmm. I'm having trouble coming up with words. But she, she is, she is sovereignty in some aspects. She's also just aggressive agency, just mm -hmm. being assured of oneself and one's place and one's value and one's rights and one's yep. ability and yep. fighting for those like her her main story is her father theazi is murdered by the aesir because ah, for any number of reasons but she grabs her weapons marches up to asgard knocks on the door and says hey fuck faces you killed my dad i want revenge 
Um, and they placate her, um, and they she says, fine, I get to choose um, my partner from one of you. Um, and they said, okay, but you have to pick him based on feet. And she does. And she I think in one story it says she was hoping for Balder, but she ends up with Niord because apparently Niord has awesome feet. Um, they did divorce, <laughs> but she was she was she was Freya and Freya's stepmom for a while, which mm -hmm. is kind of interesting. Yeah, but she's also a goddess of winter, and m from my experience doing a little bit of like unintentional journey work with her, she hangs out with Ankailach, who is near and dear to my heart. And considering they're both like winter folks and rock folks in general, mm -hmm. um, it makes total sense. But she's she's pretty badass. So if you want some energy that's like you're not feeling maybe super confident, but you want to build that and are really committed to that, and you want to just have like a friend who is so confident in themselves that they can be like, no, no, you can totally make that jump. I absolutely think you can. The only thing stopping you is your fear. Like that is a scathy moment. That is a dude. You look. I will hold your beer. Just go do it. Uh, <laughs> type of type of relationship. So I, I can't. I, I'm still investigating it, but I, I really like Skadi. Uh, she's very badass. And if Skadi doesn't appear in a feminine presenting way, it's still Skadi. I think that there's a level of, of, of I give no shits about binary gender as part mm -hmm. of her stories and presentation. So that, that is, may also be an inducement. So she is our crone of the month. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> <sighs> wow, now we're coming down to the end. So, do we have any feedback? Um, based on our email, let me quick check. Da, 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 uh, no. Uh, no one has emailed us, which I guess is a good thing, because that would just mean extra work for us, and you and I are both too busy with existential crises, and also, on a level, a little lazy. So... Uh <laughs> well, me. That's Ow. me. Yeah. I am no, me. no, no, that's fair. Me too. <laughs> Um, so it could be a good thing, but, uh, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, feedback, you just want to say hi, you want to sell us something, you have coupons. You want to sponsor know. us. You want to sponsor us. I'm looking at you, Nike, with your name named after a deity. This is a perfect sponsorship. <laughs> 1911, we've mentioned you so much. And we live in the area. Uh... <laughs> Uh, you can email us at cronesportrait gmail.com, C-R-O-N-E-S-P-R-O-C-H at gmail.com. It's always open, 24-7. Won't answer 24-7, but it's open. <laughs> we can You can contact us on our social media at croneporch, C-R-O-N-E-P-O-R-C-H on Facebook, or at croneporch, C-R-O-N-E-S-P-O-R-C-H on Instagram. And is there a Twitter now? Yes, there is a Twitter now. Oh, good. You can also find us on Crossports at Twitter. Yep, Crossports at Twitter. Uh, okay, oh, we're nice. also on YouTube at the. Oh, we are. The Crones Porch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we forgot to standardize. Oopsies, sorry about that. Oh, um, it's in the same family. We're close enough. Yeah, we're close enough. Anywho, yes. So news and plans. We have an exciting thing coming up, don't we? Yeah, so it turns out when you make something standardized every month, such as Crone Tangents, you run out of tangents. So, <laughs> in order to let us recharge and not turn our complaining into another job, which defeats the purpose of complaining, 
Uh, yeah. We're going to spice up our bonus episodes every month with some rotating fun favorites that we're going to come up with as we go. But the first of which, or the first of a few, are probably going to result uh, revolve around watching our favorite pagan or magic or bad magic or bad pagan, you know, all of that. TV shows and videos and react to them because what's better than uh, forcing ourselves to watch bad uh, interpretations of our uh, practices and faith? Doing it live on a podcast. And if you have any suggestions or favorites that you'd like to see us do, please send us those suggestions. Um, as it stands, uh, we have some options um, available, like we've been discussing uh, the anime Fates, uh, Stored in the Stone, Buffy. So if you have a favorite, please let us know, and we will take that under consideration. Oh, so, we also talked about um, Full Metal Alchemist, right? Yeah, Full Metal Alchemist is another option. Um, and also some other things that we might be doing. We might be doing some current review episodes where we talk about our favorite things that we've purchased, I guess, or things that we just use around the house in terms of magical practice, uh, and giving you reviews. Because, again, what's better than buying stuff? Buying stuff and then reviewing it like we have a platform. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Uh, but so that is something to look forward to. And if you have any suggestions, please, please, please let us know. If you don't have suggestions and just really want to say hello and you're just feeling too timid, please use it as a moment to add that. See, Scotty will hold your beer. Send us that message. Or your juice, yeah. Also, send us a spiritual message. You down in your spiritual world? Uh, focus, name's Ian, that's Colin. Focus. Maybe you'll send us a message and we'll get it at some point. I don't know. Yeah. We, Try it. We have a lot of internal telepathic screaming of our own already, so if you send that over, we may not hear it amidst the existing noise, but maybe... Or you might hear the screams. Uh, don't be alarmed. Uh, they're just inside our head. We're not actually screaming all the time. Uh. <laughs> no, the times we aren't is called sleep. Um <laughs> I, you don't scream in your sleep? It disturbs my partner all the time, just screaming in my sleep. Oh, oh dear. Um, on <laughs> that note, thank you for joining us on the Crohn's Porch. Yeah, please uh, come back to us in September because we have, again, a new addition to our bonus episodes. We have our main episode, and we'll be celebrating Mayban. Woo-hoo! I don't know what that is either. <laughs> I know what it is only because this is a holiday that happens during the school year, so I actually celebrate it. <laughs> oh, good. You can take point. All right. Oh, no. So, <laughs> All right. so I will say Shlan. And I will say Dozvedania. And bye-bye. Yeah, we'll see you next time on the Crunch Porch.